The Economist. In London, this is The Economist with Tasting Menu, a selection of the tastiest morsels from this week's issue. I'm Tom Standage, Deputy Editor, and on the menu this week, some self-help for white-collar workers, signs of happier times on Baghdad's restaurant scene, and a lucrative take on America's presidential campaign. But first, beware the cult of Xi was our cover line this week. Since China's president, Xi Jinping, came to power in 2012, he's waged a relentless war on corruption, purging the ruling party of erring officials. Having consolidated power, he's stronger than his predecessors. Yet his strength is damaging the country, our cover leader warned. Mr Xi's anti-graft war has often made little difference to ordinary people. Their life and health is still blighted by corruption. As a recent public health scandal would suggest. Tens of millions of dollars worth of black market, out-of-date and improperly stored vaccines have been sold to government health centres, which have in turn been making money by selling them to patients. Yet after amassing such power, why is the president still unable to get things done? In fairness, Mr Xi was bound to meet with hostility. Many officials are angry because he has ripped up the compact by which they have operated and which said that they could line their pockets, so long as corruption was not flagrant and they did their job well. Grumbling underlings aside, Mr Xi has found that his thirst for power has left little room for anything else. In three and a half years in charge, he has accumulated titles at an astonishing pace. He is not only party leader, head of state and commander-in-chief, but is also running reform, the security services and the economy. Mr Xi is, one analyst says, chairman of everything. And some worry that public adulation may go to his head. He has flouted the party's ban on personality cults, introduced in 1982 to prevent another episode of Maoist madness. When idolising masses combine with powerful leadership, fervour can quickly spread through the political sphere. And tapping into this zeal can be good business, as an article in our United States section explained. With presidential candidates making their lengthy campaigns around the country, a lucrative trade in souvenirs is following in their wake. Contact with this year's presidential politics leaves many Americans hankering for a scrub with carbolic soap. Or a different passport. But a hefty minority are relishing the contest so much that the traders who sell souvenirs outside campaign rallies are enjoying their best election in memory. For all the bombast and bluster of the election, it's a humble trinket which is proving lucrative. Political badges or buttons. These have been a staple of presidential races since 1896, when they were first mass-produced from metal and plastic-covered paper. At a recent Trump rally, you can guess whose face was on the winning badge. The most popular featured an unusually benign portrait of the candidate in a red cap, captioned, Trump for President 2016. Yet some on the other side of the aisle featured too. Runner-up was an image of Hillary Clinton behind bars and the caption, Hillary for Prison 2016, reflecting scepticism about the Democratic frontrunner's emails. Will the badge's prophecies come true? We'll see. Signs of happier times graced the pages of our Middle East and Africa section this week with a piece on eateries in Iraq. In a fragile country surrounded by turmoil, it seems there's high demand for culinary change in the capital. Before when I wrote, I would say when something is bad, says Anas al-Saraf, the entrepreneurial founder of the online Baghdad Restaurant Guide. Yet he stopped recently, and not without reason. I got a lot of threats. 
Someone who is spending $2 million to open a restaurant can spend $5,000 to order a hit on me. It's worth avoiding such occupational hazards, as there's plenty to write about. Mr Seraf estimates that a new restaurant, anything from a small cafe to a multi-level culinary palace, opens in Baghdad every three days. Despite Iraq's current financial crisis, he says, profit margins are around 50%. Few of them fail. And many new restaurants aren't confining themselves just to cooking. Amid a glut of new eateries, snazzier spots are using attractions other than just the food to draw in diners. Scoozy's three floors are filled with Iraqi art, all of it for sale. On the top floor, customers smoke shisha pipes beneath a glass skylight with hanging plants. We leave the glow of Baghdad's restaurants and drift into the promising glimmer of the solar energy industry. Yet, as an article in our business section explained, two large potential bankruptcies are casting a shadow over the solar landscape. Last year, for the first time, the world invested more in photovoltaic cells than in coal and gas-fired power generation combined. Hurrah! This year, new solar installations in America are expected to more than double. Not a cloud in the sky for the solar industry, it would seem. Yet this week, two of the rich world's most prominent solar power developers have been flirting with disaster. Cheered on by yield-hungry creditors and investors, they had expanded too quickly reliant on heavy borrowing and financial engineering. It seems their outlook was a little too sunny. Both firms were emblematic of the excitement over clean energy. They borrowed oodles to build large projects that delivered energy to utilities at increasingly attractive prices. But they were blinded by their own success, says Greg Jones of Credit Sites, a financial research firm. All the details of the flickering industry and our analysis of the fallout are in this week's issue. We move on now to our finance section, where we scale the soaring heights of property prices in the world's most desirable cities. Our article explained that as urban populations grow, prices are only heading one way. Globalisation has created a handful of metropolises that attract people, capital and ideas from all over the world – almost irrespective of how their national economy is doing. This influx is proving costly. House prices in such places, unsurprisingly, outpace the national average. It's all a matter of supply and demand. The supply of housing is rather inelastic. So in the short term, house price inflation is driven more by demand factors, such as the number of households, disposable income, interest rates and the yield available on other assets. All of which means... Whenever the supply of a good is limited, there is potential for exuberance. San Francisco's property market is intertwined with the technology sector. Since 2008, there has been a 93% correlation between the monthly movements in the Nasdaq and house price inflation in its metropolitan area. We've made an interactive graphic charting housing data over time, which you can play with on our website. On now to our books and arts section, in which a review compares two new books on human improvement. The world has quietly been undergoing a performance revolution, and these books offer tips on how to join it. In nearly all areas, people are continuously getting better at what they do. This is clearly measurable in the world of sport. But it is happening in myriad other areas as well, from surgery to management 
and even violin playing. So we might just beat the robots yet. In Smarter, Faster, Better, Charles Duhigg of the New York Times looks at the numerous ways that people can become more effective, whether in improving motivation, setting goals, making decisions or thinking creatively. This self-help advice was aimed at white-collar professionals. One learns how organisations like Google and the original cast of Saturday Night Live, an American comedy show, produce great teams. The crux? Create a feeling of trust so people can freely express themselves. This is more important than having superstars in the group. The other book delves deep into scientific research and suggests there's no such thing as natural ability. Not for Mozart, nor for Garry Kasparov. Traits favourable to a task, such as perfect musical pitch, help at the outset, but confer no advantage at higher levels. Rather, after a basic ability, it all comes down to effort. Perhaps it's time for me to dust off my harpsichord, then. Our obituary this week bade farewell to one man who truly excelled in his field. Tributes from around the football world poured in last week for the man who inspired players of all nations, as well as the names of some well-known moves, Johan Cruyff. At one given moment, neither too early nor too late, in Un Momento Dado, his catchphrase when he shaped Barcelona into the world's top team, the ball and he would meet. And from this, as often as not, came glory. Indeed, he was a master of trickery. One piece of wizardry, the Cruyff turn, involved a dummy pass and a back flick, completely wrong-footing the defender. Such geometric deceit won him numerous accolades. Match analysts almost made him into a scholar of the turf, a Pythagoras in boots, as he was called once. But why compare him to masters of other fields when he was the maestro of his own? Toon Hermans, his fellow countryman, eloquently described his almost spiritual enthronement in Dutch hearts. And Vincent saw the corn, and Einstein the number, and Zeppelin the Zeppelin, and Johan saw the ball. And I'm Tom Standage, and I saw this week's issue. And that was our tasting menu. If you're hungry for a little more, you can find all our stories on our website at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. Economist. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.